Hello and welcome to another episode of the Preferred Walk-Ons Podcast. This is Michael McGraw. I'm here with Michael Shutt. And today we have special guest, Taylor Tannenbaum. Taylor will be known by many of our listeners for her work on ACCPM, which airs every weekday from 4 to 7 p.m. on the ACC Network. She's also part of the ACC Primetime Broadcast team covering college football every Saturday evening in the fall. Welcome, Taylor. Thanks so much for being here. Michael, Michael, thank you for having me. You guys make it easy on the guests, huh? I don't have to remember we do. too much. <laughs> Our last guest was also a Michael, so that got really confusing. So That is wild. It's like, who's on first? <laughs> <laughs> this should be easier. So I wanted to start with your alma mater, Florida State. They appear to be primed for a college football playoff run. They look really, really good. Keon Coleman is like leaping over people and has four touchdowns in two games. And Jordan Travis playing great. The defense looks really, really good. From what you're seeing, and you can answer as a fan or as a reporter, are they a true playoff contender? Or do you see anything that worries you from what you've seen the first two games? Well, for the first time in a long time, guys, I can answer this as an honest reporter and a fan because the answer is the same. There isn't just a little added incentive as a fan for me to have a little bit of hope because, yeah, I do I do believe this is a college football playoff team. And now after watching just two weeks, anything less will be a disappointment. Um, I think I think arguably I know the polls are what they are. It only matters in November. They could be at this moment the best team in the country because I know there's the Georgias and the Ohio States and the Michigans of the world as well. But the caliber of teams that they've played versus how they've beaten them in an LSU and a Southern Miss team that went to a bowl last year. And they're a solid little team. Granted, they're not as good as Florida State. Um, I think they've proven already that they can win and win dominantly. They can win dominantly in every phase, too. And it's not just physically. It's mentally. Because heading into the season, guys, that was really the question is, hey, great on paper. Y'all have an outstanding team. You got a, a quarterback in his sixth year. You have continuity on the coaching staff. Uh, what are you going to do mentally, though? Because you haven't been in this position. You haven't had preseason expectation. Uh, you haven't had um, this kind of top 10 showdown to start the season, right? What are you going to do with it? Uh, and they've checked every single box already. Okay, so this is kind of a transition into talking about the other ACC contender, at least preseason, that everybody kind of thought that Clemson would be at the spot that we're used to seeing them in, that this is their conference to lose. It's early, right? We've only had a couple of games to go off of, but I am definitely on the train of Clemson being overrated. I just, I don't think that they have it this year. So you seem to really believe that Florida State's for real. Is Clemson, have they taken a step back? That game against Duke, what does that tell us about them? Or is Duke just that good? Is it a combination of both? Kind of what are we looking at at that part of the ACC? Well, I do think it's a combination of both of that first game with Duke and Clemson. Duke is significantly better than they've ever been. Um, and the one big question mark heading into the season was, hey, secondary, and they upgraded at that position. Uh, so you're coming in off a nine-win season. You upgrade at, at the position that was really your biggest liability uh, with 17 returners on both sides of the ball, and you're going to be a pretty good football team. Whereas Clemson, I don't know that they've fallen off. I think they've plateaued a little bit. It's, it's maybe less of a fall off because, look, we hold them to a different expectation than everybody else, but they haven't supplemented through the transfer portal. Uh, they haven't um, maybe, you know, recruited as good as they have in the past. It's still solid. Um, they're still one of the best in the country in terms of recruiting classes, but maybe not those players that jump off the page. They're just good. They're not 
when you used to watch the receivers, they used to flash. There's really not a lot of flash. Yes, Kate is a great quarterback, comes in as a five-star, but he's not that generational type talent that they've had in the past. It doesn't seem like it yet. And look, he is still young. And I think we have to also understand that every player develops differently. And just because um, they were really great in high school doesn't mean that they're going to be great right away in college. Maybe it takes an extra second and we have to be cognizant of that. I just think that Clemson's plateaued a little bit. And it doesn't mean that they're not going to be one of the better teams in the country, but I don't think they're still in that elite bunch. And I think a lot of that has to do with talent. Just, uh, you know, I think they have players, but I think the one or two or three players that can change a team, I don't know that they have that anymore. So you're going to be doing the broadcast of the game against FAU this week. That's right. Yes. Um, do you get the sense that there is like an angst among Clemson fans? Like from an outside perspective, it looks to us like there is a, a decent amount of angst, even though Dabo has taken Clemson to highs they've never been before. But, it, you know, that, that game against Charleston Southern this past week where they're like down in the first quarter, they lose this high profile game against Duke. Are you getting a sense that people are like antsy? Is it just resigned to, hey, maybe we're not quite on the same level? What are what are you hearing from Clemson fans? I do think there is a little bit of angst. I still do think that people have faith. Like they're not just going to sit here. People love Dabo Sweeney, and as they should, he's done wonderful things at Clemson, just as a coach and as a man, and they absolutely should. But I do think there is an angst that this weekend – if you have a weird performance against FAU, especially in the beginning, like we've seen the last two weeks, you're staring down a Florida State team that's coming to your house that has looked really, really good. Uh, so I do think that there is a level of, if if not this month, then it's it's over for the rest of the season. And now what moving forward? But I do still think people have a level of, okay, we can turn this around, right? The panic button isn't there yet. I think it may be at like a four or five. But if this weekend um, isn't a big statement and this offense doesn't pick it up from the very beginning, you're going to have people um, maybe at a seven or an eight. I will push back on one thing. As an NC State fan, I do not have to love Dabo Sweeney. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And the people the people of Clemson and Clemson fans, yes. um, I think, have have grown to really love him. And he has done wonderful things. But totally true. As, as fans around the league of other programs, I can see where you come from. <laughs> and, and it's that that, like, I am eager to see them slip up a little bit and that sounds awful but like just as a fan you're kind of like it's it's exhausting watching them dominate the conference for so long yeah. and and it was the same way with Florida State in the past I mean that's kind of like we talked about it in our preseason preview when we talked about Florida State seeming to be very good again you know I'm going back to you know not just the Bowden years but those Jimbo Fisher years where it just felt like they were unbeatable and you know Clemson has been that and so you know seeing them slip there's a little bit of kind of like oh finally there's an opportunity so let's look at another potential ACC contender you know we we talk a lot about these teams where fan bases will and reporters and everybody like oh they're back right so outside of the ACC it's not Texas. the B word not the B word <laughs> I'm a big Texas is back person but is Miami back they're on their way to being back. Yes. <laughs> um, you sound so I, resigned to have to admit that. <laughs> I, I said to I said to Mark Packer yesterday before our show on ACCPM, I was like, for the first time in my life, I've never been so happy um, for the Miami Hurricanes. You know, I didn't grow up. Yeah. I, first of all, I, I grew up a Florida Gator fan, went to Florida State. I've never, I used to go to games as a kid because I live in South Florida. 
but I was never like, my brother loved the Canes. I was always rooting against him because I liked the Gators. You know what I mean? So um, for the first time in my life, I can honestly say I do feel like they're on their way to being back. Credit to Mario Cristobal. After last season, he looked himself in the mirror and said, this isn't going to work. And he knew, I think, inheriting the program that he did and the roster that he did, that it wasn't going to be great. But on the outside, you have to put on this front, you know, and what we we set such high expectations. Nowadays, everything has to be instant, right? He looked himself in the mirror and said, need a new offensive coordinator, need a new defensive coordinator, need to revamp my staff and this entire roster. They have 41, 42 new players, seven new assistant coaches. He didn't just say, hey, look, we can keep going with this and we're going to ride this wave he really said, we're going to do this now, and and it's it's now or never, and he realized that, and I do give him a lot of credit for that. The talent they have is young, um, but if they play the way that they do, you can see the effort, the competitiveness, the physicality is just up a, 10 notches from last year, and that's an internal thing, right? That comes from inside. Some of the talent is the same, but the confidence level is different. While there is young talent, there are some leaders on that team that have stayed that decided they wanted to commit to this program. Um, so I, I have a lot of faith in what they're doing. If they play the way that they did this past weekend against Texas A&M, we had thought, what, maybe maybe a bowl game at a minimum is, is, is an accomplishment for them this season. Seven wins still may not make the fan base happy, but that would be a great turnaround. I see 9-10 on the schedule if they play that same way. Um, and, and that's just the truth. Uh, so I do think they are on their way to being back. I do not want to anoint them just yet. Um, but but if they continue on this path, in no time, this Miami team should be playing for championships. What has that been like? Not to say Florida State and Miami have been down in the traditional sense. I mean, I'm a Virginia yeah. fan, so I know what a down fan base really is like. But when the rivalry between Florida State and Miami, when both teams are good, I just feel like that's one of the best situations in all of football. Like it's up there with Ohio State, Michigan, Texas, Absolutely. Texas A&M, any, any other rivalry. What is that like? based on your experience, uh, both as a journalist and as somebody who went to Florida State? I mean, it's everything. It's a battle of the state. It's a battle a lot of the times, you know, for the ACC, for pride, for recruiting. When you're trying to recruit in one of the most fertile states in that department, uh, winning that game is critical. And you're watching the Gators right now really, really struggle. So right now is both of these teams' time to really shine. You know, for a while, there were guys just going to Florida over both of these schools because the programs were so unstable. Uh, now they can really, really, you know, hang their hat on saying, hey, look, we're the ones on the rise. We're the ones now at the top in this state. There's a lot of smack talking. There's a lot of family division. It is massive. And not to mention how big it is for the ACC as a whole. Um, you need Miami. You need Florida State. Um, you need really Clemson still as well. And you can throw like the the brand of Virginia Tech in there um, because they're just such a national brand. I know Michael's like, no, you absolutely do not have to. <laughs> you throw don't it have in. to. Why, it's fine, why would you but... do that? Um, those are the types of programs. And now you have a North Carolina that is so known for a basketball school, Duke, that's a basketball school now in this football landscape. You have a legendary coach in a Mac Brown. This is massive for the league and the narrative. And you're seeing it in the first two weeks going four and one against the SEC this week, Georgia Tech goes to Ole Miss. If they can potentially pull off an upset there, you have six ACC Big Ten games coming up this weekend. These are massive games for the conference as a, uh, as a whole, especially with so much turmoil just all over the country in terms of realignment and expansion and all that. Uh, Miami and Florida State, it starts with them. It really does. So you mentioned Carolina. Let's go there. I have a really hard time separating my bias, but, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I look at this team and, you know, pretty thoroughly dominated South Carolina in that opener in Charlotte struggled against app state, which is 
I think to some people outside of this region looks worse than it is. And people who know App State football know that they are dangerous. And, and Michigan Michigan knows that. Texas A&M yes. knows that. But like a lot of people don't understand that. I genuinely am having a hard time figuring out how good this Carolina team is. We know Drake May is awesome. They've got running backs like seemingly just spawning out of the locker room. Um, <laughs> and their defense looked good against South Carolina. Like, how good are they? Is this team really an ACC contender? Are they going to do what I think and hope they're going to do, which is fall flat at some point? What are we looking at with this Carolina team? They can be as good as they want to be. They really can. Um, it's, a, it's all a mental game, it feels like, in Chapel Hill. Uh, if you if you listen to Mac Brown, even in that App State game, he's like, we're just not finishing. Like They're making critical plays, and we're not. We're shooting ourselves in the foot with silly penalties. Uh, they don't do some of that, and it could be a very different ball game. They have the quarterback. They have, as you mentioned, the running back room. They have the talent on paper. Defensively, they have a front that's playing a lot better. Two of the best linebackers really in the league and, and a duo in the country that should be considered up there in Power Eccles and Cedric Gray. They're really good. Um, their tackles, especially last year, were through the roof because uh, they were the ones running around the most. Maybe that's not the greatest statistic you want to see, uh, but they're going to make the plays. The secondary has some growing up to do, just like they did last year. But I do believe they feel like they're more talented at that position. They brought in some transfers, got rid of some ones that they just felt like didn't really fit for them. And in year two in Gene Chizik's scheme, um, the confidence level is a lot higher. So I do think they can be as good as they want to be. Uh, they just have to – it's them against them. I, I yeah. really believe that. It's them against them. And I think they will gradually continue to get better throughout the season. Uh, but, man, the start of their schedule is brutal. It doesn't. It doesn't get much easier. They have Minnesota this week, another you know Big Ten opponent after opening up with the SEC, and then the following week they go to Pitt. You know, and and Pitt has a defense that's going to challenge them. Uh, so it's going to be a first month where you're going to learn a lot about this team. But if they can get out of this month four and zero, they're only going to get better from here. I have faith in them. Yeah, I was just kind of looking at their schedule earlier, and, and it's interesting, right? Because like you said, it's a tough start all the way through. I mean, you get Syracuse in between Pitt and Miami, but. That Miami game probably will tell us a lot about both teams. Then they do have like a little bit of an easier stretch. The end of their schedule is brutal too. I mean, their last three games are Duke, Clemson, and NC State. That's not a fun way to end the season. So I, I just think it's an interesting, it's going to be an interesting team to watch to see like there's potential for them to get through these first six games or so and look legit. Yeah. And then who knows what it looks like at the end of the season. I think the beauty of it, too, is you're watching them win games without it having to just be all on Drake May. Last year, it was literally all on Drake May. It was Omari on Hampton this week going for 234, which credits the offensive line, too. Look, they had a really young dude in Diego Pound starting at left tackle. Like They threw him out there into the fire, and he survived, right? And, and he's only going to get better from here. Last, the first week against South Carolina, it was the defense that, that stole the headline. It wasn't even this offense or Drake May. At some point, it's going to have to be Drake May. You saw him at the end of this game step up in that double OT touchdown but they have different ways to do it now when last year I'm not so sure that they did so you've done a lot of traveling preseason and now with the season uh, the ACCPM going on location and now you know doing your broadcasts who are the people that are not getting enough attention I, I feel like there's a lot of people at the top of the conference big names Jordan Travis Drake May that are getting a ton of attention who have you talked with that maybe ACC fans aren't paying attention to that from your perspective are either just really underrated or, or just really interesting or like their stories or something that we should be paying more attention to? Let's see. Um, I still think people sleep on Duke, even though like 
you can consider, I'm serious. Like when you turn on the TV, you're not going to listen to them talk about them and their top 25 in the country. I think Riley Leonard is incredible. And honestly, a lot of their weapons too. And then like Jalen Calhoun and Jordan Waters, like these dudes are grinders, man. And they did not come into these programs as these heralded recruits. There's a lot within that Duke program that I feel like people don't know about. Just even Mike Elko's story, man. Like, he's just your average guy. And if you walk past him at a grocery store, you would never know he is the head football coach at Duke. He is the kindest man. Um, but what he's been able to do there, I think, talking to that team and those guys all the time, there are some quality human beings over there. Uh, Dwayne Carter is awesome. Monk, their center, is awesome too. So um, I, I really think Duke has some really cool dudes, especially because if you're going to Duke and you're playing football, you probably have a lot more to you than just the football side. Uh, so there's some great stories there. I, I made the stop at Louisville. Uh, I don't think a lot of people are talking about Jamari Thrash enough. He's going to be a dog in this league. He's my incoming uh, player of the year, my newcomer of the year, my preseason pick um, with Jack Plummer and that system and, and Jeff Brom. I think there's something to be said about him as well. So I'm interested to see how he kind of comes out and emerges. Um, and there's some people, honestly, we never talk about Georgia Tech, and I alluded to it earlier about them going to Ole Miss this weekend. That's a team that you just don't want to see in an AP-ranked situation or a big game because they they play with this level of chip on their shoulder and people are counting us out. And with Brent Key, uh, he instills his confidence in this team. They have some guys that I'm interested to see emerge, Malik Rutherford, as one of them at receiver and uh, LaMiles Brooks on, on the defensive side of the ball, they have some guys and that, that'll be an interesting watch this weekend. So maybe those are just, just a couple of names that I feel like have potential to do a little something in the league this year. Nice. So we just talked about people that, uh, you know, fans aren't paying attention to. There's one guy in the ACC that everybody is paying attention to, not for anything that's happened on the field so far, but Tez Walker at Carolina have you heard anything? I, I know that the the their board had this closed doors meeting and they're exploring yeah. options. Have you heard anything coming out of Chapel Hill about sort of where we go from here? I, I know that they're not just going to take it lying down and just accept it. You know, what's the latest? Well, first of all, you want me on my soapbox right now because I, I don't know it. why this has struck such a chord with me. And, and and normally I don't get into the political stuff and all the other, you know, college football is college football and it's fun for a reason, right? But this is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And if you even take five minutes to listen to the situation and to even just get to know Tez Walker, like I haven't talked to him one-on-one, -on -one, but hearing from Mac Brown, what kind of kid he is, what kind of life he's lived to this point, what, read the articles about how he tore his ACL in high school and was supposed to be gray shirted. They wanted him to wave off his first football season. So he goes and works at Bojangles in order to pay for rehab and then comes back and goes to a small school and they cancel football because COVID. When you hear his story, you're like, I cannot believe someone looked at this kid and was like, this is a good idea. You're really, really setting this kid up for a life-changing experience and not in a positive way. Uh, you don't know how someone like that will react when all he's had in his life a lot of the times is football. And um, I'm grateful that he has people in his corner like Mac Brown, like Bubba Cunningham, the athletics director at North Carolina, who are really standing there and saying, we're not going to fail this kid uh, when other people have, including the NCAA. Uh, so first of all, to retroactively apply that rule, not just to him, but to the other guys who have transferred for a second time and retroactively apply it, like that just simply doesn't make sense in and of itself. You can tell me you knew you thought that rule was going to be a thing in August. So just because you thought it doesn't mean I know that. Uh, so maybe he would have been better. He, you know, he would have been better off staying at Kent State had he known that was going to be the deal 
And I'm sure that he would have, and he probably would have went on and been drafted because he's a star regardless. Um, but moving forward, they did have the closed door meeting at the question that you asked. With that being said, they're going to look into legal action um, because I think there is something in terms of the way the NCAA making this ruling affects his money mm. uh, in terms of earnings for NIL, in terms of next level at the league, uh, the damages monetarily that this is causing. And I think they might think they have a case in court for that because, you know, he's not getting NIL deals from playing with potentially a number one overall pick, which could increase your draft stock. That's a problem. So I think that's the direction they're looking to head. And they have looked at counsel. We talked to Andrea Adelson yesterday internally and externally. And I think um, they're going to look to some avenues to see what they can do for Tez. It's really tough for us because we we both hate UNC and always like slam Mac Brown for his various uh, eccentricities. But like he's clearly right about this. And it's like it's he's doing a great job of being outspoken for this kid that's on his team. So like it's 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 just the right thing to do. So it puts us in a tough spot. And it's I think this is going to be a big deal long term for the NCAA, too, because if you can win something like this in court for NIL deals, then that kind of puts into question a number of other rulings about people being held out. A hundred percent. And, and they had a chance, the NCAA to really, especially with, you know, Charlie Baker at the top being new to really, you know, be a champion of this one and, and put one notch in the win column for them. And they like completely chose the opposite direction. And really the clarity hasn't been great on it. Uh, I would love for them to come out a little bit more to the forefront and say, hey, tell us exactly why you did this um, and, and what your reasons were. And it just feels like they're hiding behind a curtain, which I hate. But credit to Mac Brown. Look, this is a bigger picture thing, though. He knows he's not getting fired. He knows he's a legend. He's also, he's already a Hall of Famer. He's the only FBS coach to win 100 games at two different places. He knows his words hold meaning. And it's not just about Tez at this point. It's about every other kid that they could potentially do this to or the NCAA just hold, withholding, you know, holding power over other people. He, you know, while he's still coaching, he knows now in this chapter of his life, I believe that he has he has another responsibility, um, and that's to be a mouthpiece uh, for college football. I do want to. I feel legally obligated to ask about realignment. You mentioned it earlier. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we've got SMU and Cal and Stanford joining the ACC. And what are you most looking forward to with those schools entering the ACC? Are you excited to be traveling to Dallas and? other places uh, on the west coast like what what do you think of the fit and what are you as a journalist most excited about well that yeah the travel absolutely send me to california and dallas i'm not going to complain about that sorry to my bosses who have to front the bill on those kinds of things but i'm okay with it um what i'm most excited for sometimes change can be a good thing and maybe if you're not looking at it at a football lens i'm looking at it as as a person who likes to watch all of college sports give me those schools when it comes to women's hoops And we have a really good league in the ACC when it comes to women's hoops. Give me Stanford. Give me Cal, SMU. I'm I'm not, you know, I'm not super adept on that, but give me that. Those two schools when it comes to women's hoops, I'll take it. Give me that when it comes to softball. We have a great league when it comes to women's softball. Give me those schools when it comes to that. You know, the other Olympic sports that the ACC is so, so good at, it is going to, to be a game changer in those aspects. Now, for the football side, you hope Stanford can potentially get back to the glory days they once had. I know Cal has really, really struggled. SMU, though, solid. Um, and I'm excited to kind of have those different fan bases across the country and, and for the state of Texas and for the state of California to see the ACC in a different light. Because to be fair, I'm always, I've am i always been an East Coaster. 
I'm not as up to speed on the Pac-12. I'm not as up to speed on SMU just because I pay so much attention to the East Coast and the times are off. Now, those people out there on the flip side of things are going to get to know the ACC a little bit better. I'm going to see those student athletes. It's great for their brands. Uh, Personally, if we're talking so much now about NIL and brands, I think it's good for them to be seen visibly throughout the entire country. Now I know there's the aspect of, you know, mental health and, and the, the aspect of finances and how it affects their schooling and all that stuff. And that should be taken account for. And I hope that the powers that be look at the scheduling and, and make it as positive as possible for every single student athlete and the coaching staffs and everyone's whose lives will be affected um, by this. But I do think in the grand scheme, there are some positives to it. And, and I really do think with the ever changing landscape of college sports and college football, how long is this really going to even be a thing, right? I think everything will inevitably change in the next five years anyway. All right. So we, you mentioned a little bit about travel. So we're going to end this with a fun one. In your travel throughout the ACC, and you can't say Florida State, favorite yeah. place to go? Favorite Virginia visit? Tech. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, 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 <laughs> sorry. I know. Answer. I'm so sorry. The stadium is really cool. And I've only been there for night games, which is really cool. I do actually love Chapel Hill as well, just because it's beautiful. I'm hitting both of you right in the face. Yeah, right really. Now. It's yeah. okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've, I've, to Charlottesville, I've only been in and out really quickly, but I've heard it's beautiful. Um, so I've only seen the inside of JPJ, really. So I cannot give it an honest review. NC State was a lot of fun. The environment was really good. Uh, so I, I would be interested to go back there. But the, those two, for sure, I'm going to Clemson now for a night game this weekend. So I'm excited to see what that's all about. Um, but Virginia Tech's environment is legit. Uh, now they just need to start winning, period. We were just talking before you came on about planning. I think we're going to head down to Blacksburg for the NC State Virginia Tech game. And I, that'll just be – some of those game day environments are just so much fun. And, like, even as an NC State fan, I can say I think that the game day stuff in the stadium is a lot of fun. As a whole, I don't think the experience, like, is quite – what other places like Blacksburg, you're right there by campus and everything is kind of consolidated. Yeah. Charlottesville is similar, but you know, it's a different, it's a different crowd here. <laughs> no, but, but Hey, Hey, NC state fans like to have a good time that That's I true. did that. I did gather when we were there. That is definitely true. Well, Taylor, thank you so much for joining us. We want to be cognizant of your time. Encourage everyone to check out the ACC PM show, which is every weekday on the ACC network from four to seven with Mark Packer. It's an awesome show. Thank Uh, you. Essential information for any college sports fans and ACC fans. And you can always uh, see Taylor on her broadcasts, the uh, ACC primetime matchup this weekend, Saturday, Clemson and FAU. And Taylor, if you if you do come to Charlottesville, we can give you some recommendations. We got a lot of wineries, breweries. Uh, Bring them on. Restaurants. Bring them on, Any, anything you want. Next time. Next time. Just let us know. I tried when I was there. I tried. Somebody told me to go get that burger. What's the popular? Yeah, the white spot burger. That, yes. Yeah. And they closed early that night. I was. It was mm. like a Wednesday. I was devastated. So I got to come back. Next time. Yeah. Next we'll, time. we'll make some calls for you. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate you. Michael E. Michael. (laughs) Thank you so much, Taylor. Okay, well, now that we have Taylor's very informed, smart opinions, we can toggle back to our totally uninformed outsider rant fan opinions. 
yeah. both of what happened last week and the week ahead. And it was I really uh, felt like I was having to hold hold it together and, and be semi professional. And now I'm just gonna the wheels are gonna come off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, take take off your work shoes, put them up on the coffee table, and let's just chat about sports. Absolutely. So week two, pretty crazy. Your boy Texas, big victory at Alabama. Alabama's worst home loss in a long time. Texas back. That's all I got. I mean, I'm I'm telling you, I told you it was gonna happen. Well, I I thought that it would be very competitive. I thought there was a possibility that they didn't win the game, but I yeah, I was fairly confident. I don't know. I just I think that uh, this is a special Texas team. I've got some pretty solid faith in Sark. I don't know if that's misplaced or not, but. Quinn Ewers looks good. That defense looks good. And I knew that this Alabama team just isn't, it's not quite like the same Alabama team we're used to. They're still very good. But yeah, Texas is, Texas is for real. I've seen a lot of stuff online about Jalen Milrow, and he did struggle at times. You know, he had some situations where he overthrew receivers. But the, the main thing that jumped out at me about this game is just Texas was dominating the line of scrimmage. Like Alabama's offensive line, which is known for just having these Leviathan people that all go to the NFL, Texas was beaten up on them. They were in his face. He was running for his life a lot. And he made some plays with his feet. He made some plays with his arm too, but he just never looked comfortable at any point in the game. And then every time it looked like Alabama might bring it a little bit closer. Texas had an answer, just big answers, particularly in the second half, big drives. Quinn yours with every throw you would need him to make. So yeah, very impressed with Texas. And Alabama, like you said, maybe just a notch below where they've been in the last few years. Yeah, still a good team. I think some of it does come down to that quarterback play. I mean, Jalen Milrow, I, I think he's he's obviously talented. You know, and I think he's there were a few times in that game where he had an opportunity to sort of unleash a couple deep balls and and his deep throws look great. Like they are, the dude can bomb it. It kind of reminds me of uh, uh, Lamar Jackson at Louisville where, you know, super dynamic runner. I mean, I'm not saying Milrow is the player that Jackson was, but with Lamar Jackson, I feel like a lot of people felt like he wasn't as polished of a passer because we don't see as much of the, you know, short and, and, and intermediate sort of these quick passes where it feels like they're just sort of picking apart a defense. But when Jalen Miller throws that thing down the field, it it is, he can definitely bomb it. And I think that, you know, some of the other stuff will come. And like you said, it's offensive line play affects it. You know, the, the running game was not what we've seen from Alabama in the past. You know, they, they don't have a Jameer Gibbs on this team. Like, Jace McClellan is a good running back, but he averaged under four yards a carry in that game. You know, I, I just I think that all of that kind of comes into play here, and this Texas team is just a little bit more complete at this current moment. Who knows if that's even true in, you know, the end of the season. But as of right now, I think this Texas team is a more complete product. Yes, definitely so. There are few teams outside of Florida State and Texas that have impressed me. Like Those are the two teams, I think, that have impressed me the most. You could add Colorado in there, too, just because their standard of what everybody expected from them was much lower. 
mm-hmm. and they get a, a big win against Nebraska, which was a really sleepy game. I don't know how much of that game you caught, but it was really sleepy for like the whole first half. Just lots of punts, lots of missed opportunities before Colorado finally got it together and smashed up on Matt Rule and then talked trash about him after the game, which was great. But yeah, man. Well, it kind of felt to me a little bit in the first half, like they were sort of playing with their food. You know, I think that there was a lot of chippiness. There was a lot of, you know, focus in on some of the talk and all this stuff. And and then eventually, I think they just kind of were like, hey, we're, you know, we're better than this team. And look, this Nebraska team, as much as I have taken the opportunity to dump on Matt Rule, and I do think that he's kind of a joke. It's, it's not like he has a lot of talent to work with right now, right? Like, I mean, that's just kind of the reality. This is a bad Nebraska team, and he's not going to come out and say that, you know, but he had his press conference, which was hilarious to me because he said a lot of the same stuff that Carolina Panthers fans heard over the last few years, you know, that whole like, well, when you get when you hire me, I'm not going to build it overnight. We're going to build a good foundation, and then after two or three years, you're going to start to see – the results here and i'm sitting here watching this and i'm like yeah matt where are those results because i just had to watch cj henderson get burnt in an nfl game again and and you know whatever all the other players that he felt like were legit nfl players but it's a hard team to watch i have a hard time watching you know jeff sims turn the ball over every other snap you know seemingly like he's it's crazy and they have a decent running back in in Irvin and probably don't give him enough carries. Uh, obviously, you know that Billy Kemp is a talented wide receiver, but I just, I don't know. This Nebraska team is not very good. It, Colorado is only going to have more believers. Shador Sanders is a legit uh, high-level quarterback, but I don't take a ton from dismantling Nebraska in the second half. That's They kind of they kind of help you do that anyway. They sort of, they dismantle themselves. So uh, impressive win, but not all that impressive, I guess. He does build things up. He just leaves at the end of it. He goes yeah. to the next school before he can have sustained success. I mean, he mm-hmm. turned Temple and Baylor around. Undoubtedly, unquestionably, he did that. But then sure. he was also gone in three years. He's like the monorail guy on The Simpsons. Like he mm-hmm. puts together the monorail and he's like, I'm going to Ogdenville or whatever. <laughs> I'm out. And he's definitely like, yeah, there's clearly been something that's worked for him in the past. I don't know. I, I, You could make the argument that you look at like Temple and Baylor and the level of competition that he was dealing with at the time was not like, I mean, Baylor's in the Big 12, but it's not as though the Big 12 was like as much of a power. It's not, not now, but was a powerhouse conference at the time. Like, I, I don't know. And and had a coaching staff around him that was super talented. And I don't know. I, I just feel like right now he's trying to set Nebraska up to compete in a Big Ten that I don't know if you've noticed, but they're adding some things. And uh, it's going to be hard. You know, and I just, I don't know. He's a dweeb. And I mean, I, I hope I have nothing against those kids who play for the team. and and. But he's just kind of, I don't need to see him succeed. I don't have a lot of faith in him to succeed. I just, I think he is super gimmicky and 
he's sort of running out of excuses at this point. And, and you know, I, I just, when you get Nebraska and, and all of this hype around them about like, oh, he's going to turn them around and then they start 0-2 and, you know, it doesn't really look like it's going to get a ton easier throughout the course of the season. I mean, they have Northern Illinois this week, Louisiana Tech the week after that. Those are probably winnable games. Then you follow it up with Michigan, and you go through a Big Ten slate that um, is not super forgiving. My only other takeaway to move away from Matt Rule for a second. Yeah, please do. The Matt Rule show. My only other takeaway from week two was just how much of a bummer the weather was. I don't ever recall this much weather disrupting entire games your nc state game was delayed the uva game they were up comfortably in the early part of the fourth quarter and the delay clearly had an impact on the influence of that game Uh, virginia tech was delayed by almost six hours for their game like you know just a lot of games up and down the east coast where there were delays and that made it difficult to watch i mean i'm sure it was difficult to play and coach also but just as like a fan sitting there on the couch i was like constantly checking twitter trying to figure out when these games were going to start and then some of the channels got moved around it was like very disorienting and then of course as a uva fan it was upsetting to see a game that looked very winnable and was very exciting and emotional and quarterback anthony calandria was playing out of his mind as a in his first true freshman start but then that resulted in a loss as well as JMU came out of the locker room much more organized. So that all sucked. I didn't like it. Yeah, it was a real momentum killer, I think, for for a lot of teams, quite honestly. And that that's not an excuse, right? Thinking particularly about no, I don't. Our, our teams and, and you have to figure out a way to manage that. But I think there's some very real – we were texting a little bit about it, and that – that NC State game, you know, I was fired up. I was like, it's noon. We got this big game on national TV against Notre Dame. You know that stadium's going to be rocking. Uh, I'm excited to watch it. And you get through the first quarter, it's three to nothing. That stadium was crazy. Like, you could feel it through the TV. It was like, you could tell how loud it was. The defense was playing lights out at the very beginning of the game. And it just felt like there was so much energy behind the team. And then you get this long lightning delay. And yes, there's some preparation things. There are some coaching things maybe that should take place during those delays or whatever, but you can't replicate. You can't assume that the energy is going to be right back where it was. And for two home teams, both of our teams that were riding some momentum in a game. And I don't care like coaches, some coaches will tell you momentum is not real. I think especially in college football, it definitely is. And especially when you look at like the UVA situation where you are in an emotional environment already, given the context, and then that gets taken away. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you, like, I can't speak for the NC State game and say it was 45-24. I can't say we would have won that game if there wasn't a rain delay or a lightning delay, but it does feel like it affected the game. And I think you probably have a better case as a UVA fan to say you guys would have won that game. I mean, I don't know that feels like it still feels a little bit like coping with the loss to me to be like, Oh, we would have won, but cause you just don't know for sure. Um, sure. But it does feel like it had a material effect on the game that hurt UVA. Yeah, exactly. And I, to be clear, I'm not, I'm not saying that UVA definitely wins and I'm not saying that, 
it isn't coaching involved in coming back focused. I mean, I think JMU deserves credit. Notre Dame deserves credit. And I would say the same thing. I would extend the same grace to Virginia Tech. I mean, their environment, as you know, is a very excited environment at the beginning of the game. They come out and start. Fans are all crazy. Then they have a five and a half hour delay on the other end of that. The fan experience is just not there. It's not the same. UVA didn't have as many fans come back because, you know, it was torrential rain. And it's just a, a fact of it. And I think it does hurt home teams generally. It's not an excuse. It's just a fact that I think home teams lose a little bit of an edge there. It becomes a quieter, quieter stadium, opportunities to make adjustments. Road teams can kind of settle in. So that just was a disappointment overall with watching the games and as a UVA fan. But, you know, what can you do? What can you do? That's right. Just got to move on. And, you know, I I think speaking of moving on, I mean, I, I'm pumped for you guys with Calandria, right? I mean, it's one game and you don't know if that's like a full on, if that's something that, that will continue. But that, that kid's exciting to watch. I'm very excited. He played the game of his life. Hopefully not the game of his life. Hopefully that's just a preview just, of just many games taste. in his life. But uh, yeah, it's, it sounds like Tony Musket is going to be the quarterback if he is healthy this week. And I both get it and don't get it. On the one hand, you had all summer to evaluate these quarterbacks, and we as fans don't get access to that. So you know, I think it is fair to say that Tony Musket is less likely to make mistakes. He's more likely to manage the game. That was a huge problem for UVA last year with Brennan Armstrong. They made a ton of game-killing mistakes. And so I can see why, you know, even against a, de- a Tennessee defense that was dominating, Tony Musket kind of kept his cool. But at the same time, man, that was so exciting. And then to come out and be like, yeah, he's probably not going to play this coming week. It's such a disappointment. It's such a disheartening thing to hear as a fan. And look, the, the only thing I'll say about it is if Tony Musket is not sharp in this Maryland game or he lands on his shoulder again or there's soreness or you know the throws aren't there, Calandry is going to get back in. Yeah. I mean, Tony Elliott is is going, he's not stubborn enough, I think, to just sit there and be like, nope, this is the guy. So we'll see. I think if the offense is lacking at all, I could see kind of a short leash and moving fairly quickly to Calandria. But I don't know. It's just kind of like, to me, maybe this is, like you mentioned having the entire summer to evaluate, but I think you can't, one of the things coaches talk about all the time is you can't simulate a real game. And you just had a real game. And you and I both know, regardless of the sport, game minutes, game snaps tell you so much more than anything in practice can tell you. And I just think it it seems so obvious to me that this kid has something to him. And look, you got to be honest about where your program is and where your team is. This is a team that will be thrilled to be bowl eligible this year. And especially now dropping this JMU game that was one of the winnable games on their schedule. Got to be realistic about this and understand that your team, your program is playing and developing for future seasons. Not for right now. This team does not is not going to win. The, and and you, you still play to win. But I think Anthony Calandria gives you a chance to win and needs more game time to continue to develop. It, it's, it seems like almost a no-brainer to me, but... And it's not a knock on Tony Musket at all. Like you said, like I was impressed with his poise in the Tennessee game. 
and I think that he's got he's got talent, right? And and it's not anything that he's doing wrong. It's just like, hey, sometimes a, a kid comes along that's real special. And this is the same way I feel about NC State and MJ Morris. I just don't see the point in wasting time and bringing him later. Like, just play the kid, right? Let it rip. And I just, I, I to me, that's where I would be on this. Um, I think he gives you the best shot, but I think that with with this Maryland game that is a winnable game, like Maryland is not like crazy good. I think they probably are a better team at this point in time, but it's a winnable game. I think you have to be ready to go to, to Calandria if, you know, things aren't going super well. Yeah. The analogy I used earlier was it's like getting Christmas presents and you open them first thing in the morning, you see what Santa brought you, and then it, before you can play with any of them, you have to go to church. You got to pack up, you got to go to church, you got to go visit your great aunt, and you're like, wait a minute, like, I want to see this, I want to see more of this toy, I want to see what I can do with this. Uh, yeah. And then to kind of take that away, yeah, disappointing, and I think that you get a sense, if you read message boards, there's a sense too of like, that's what fans are very excited about following this game after what was a disappointing result. But this is a good transition, I think, to looking at the ACC slate for this week. Let's just get this out of the way right now. This is maybe the worst weekend of college football, schedule-wise, for the rest of the year. This is It's bad. not great. It's not great. But I think that, you know, it's like this so that we will, you know, even better appreciate what next week has for us. But That's right. No hills without valleys. That's right. Make sure you hug it while you have it even if it's not exactly what you wanted. That's right. So game number one starts on Thursday. We're recording this on Tuesday evening, but Thursday at 7.30 on the ACC net- Network, we have Bethune-Cookman against Miami, number 22 in the country, fresh off a dominating win over Texas A&M. Miami's offense was the worst it had been in 40 years last year. And still, despite that, they beat Bethune Cookman in their opener in 2022. 70 to 13. ESPN FBI has this as a 99.9% chance of being a Canes win. Yeah, I mean, Miami's going to win this game. Uh, how hilarious would it be if they lost? We, you know, we spend all this time looking at this and saying that, you know, Miami is back. Miami's looking so good. And, and you know, they managed to beat texas a&m and and then if they lost to bethune cookman i think it would be hilarious but it's really a question of you know how how much they're going to win by here you know this is just a outmatched bethune cookman team unfortunately but yeah who knows maybe maybe it's competitive for a little bit and the the thing about games like this is it's just a great opportunity for um some of the really talented prospects on some of these smaller hbcu teams to get you know their name out there and build maybe a draft profile if they're if they are next level type talent i know that's you know nobody likes to deal with like oh here's this like little moral victory of you get to do this it's like i don't think Bethune cookman is is beating miami so you know at least you can look for that big bounce back so far from tyler van dyke in this new offense under shannon dotson he's uh through two games eighth in total qbr much, much better, much more like what you would expect from an NFL prospect. Friday, the game you referenced earlier, Virginia takes on Maryland traveling to College Park. 
games on FS1. Maryland is favored by 14.5 points. Here's some stats for you. Given what we talked about with Calandria mm-hmm. and the first game where UVA's offense was completely stagnant, only had like 200-some total yards, they are now up to 9.7 yards per pass, which is 16th in the country because Calandria flung it around and it was <laughs> awesome. More of that. Less of UVA averaging 1.5 yards per rush, which is 127th in the FBS. Bad. <laughs> I think Maryland's going to win by a lot, but I won't pick Maryland because I morally refuse to. No. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Maryland, obviously, they, they pulled away, but they were in a pretty competitive game with Charlotte for a little bit. And I just, I didn't catch a ton of that, to be honest with you. But what I watched, I, I wasn't like, incredibly impressed by maryland they were down at the half they were down 14 to 9 at the half so they've got a pretty good back and Hemby kid is talented and and to his little brother is like a solid quarterback who can definitely make plays i know i underestimated him last year going into the bowl game against them so I, i don't know i i see this game as being a little more competitive though than than what the line suggests maybe that's too much faith in in uva Right, but I I think this Virginia defense could pose some problems for the Maryland offense and keep this thing a little closer than than the sports books are thinking it will be. I said it last week that it wouldn't bother me to lose to JMU as opposed to it would just be a big boon to the program yeah. if they had won that game. And I'd like to like amend that statement. Losing in the way that they did with a lead playing very, very well and then kind of just like faltering in the fourth quarter that's Mm -hmm. a huge bummer like that ends up being a big bummer and they it will be interesting to see how they respond in this game against a former rival as you know like maryland is the team that i hate the most in the world Mm -hmm. so do they have the energy to bounce back from a close loss or is that like a deflating snowball effect that goes into multiple weeks that's that's what i'm looking for in this game yeah, I'll definitely be looking to see how they started out, right? Like, what that what does UVA look like at the very beginning? Do they look fired up to you know redeem themselves and you know come out at this this old you know longtime rival from the past, or do they look deflated? And in which case, I'd say it's going to be a long rest of the year. This is only game three. Like, you got to be able to respond. Totally agree. And now we get into our Saturday games. Starting at noon, Florida State traveling to Boston College. Florida State's a 26-point favorite. It's on ABC. It is the only ACC conference game of the day, which, you know, is weird. We'll, we'll get into conference play, but this is the only one, and you have to watch Boston College get beat up by Florida State. Unless there's some kind of weather event, bet the over. The over is 48.5. I think Florida State scores that on their own. They don't need Boston College. Yeah, this one's going to be ugly, and uh, no, I don't have to watch Florida State beat up on Boston College. I don't think I'm going to watch this. (laughs) Well, if that doesn't pique your fancy, what if you wanted to watch Louisville, a 10.5-point favorite, travel to Lucas Oil Stadium to face Indiana? that doing anything for you? My God, I'm going to have to watch one of these games, huh? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. (laughs) 
God, what an ugly – I know we talked about it, and I knew it was an ugly slate, but when you really start to break it down game by game, it's nauseating. Yeah, give me Louisville to cover that. That you know, I know that Indiana played a pretty competitive game against Ohio State, but I think this is one of those games that Louisville is able to kind of put some things together and and wins by a couple touchdowns. And and yeah, I'm gonna have to trust the score bug on this one because I don't think I'm gonna watch that one either. I was reading about how this is a regional rivalry, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't really know that Louisville and Indiana. I mean, I guess basketball, they're both good usually sure. most of the time, but. Then I was reading, this is only the third time that they've ever played. So how much of a rivalry could it really be? Yeah, I don't and, think Indiana is trying to, Yeah, in Indiana's trying to get out of their they have a three-game contract. Indiana's <laughs> trying to get out of it. So like this is not a rivalry. So I'm well, going to tease the rivalry. It's like mm. they, they don't want to play them and so they're mad about it and I just get it from like a geography standpoint like they're pretty close to each other and I, so i understand wanting to call it a rivalry for that reason similar to a game that i'm sure we'll talk about here in just a little bit but no that's not anything that generates any sort of excitement probably for anybody i think even louisville and indiana fans are probably like unless this is like the i was gonna say unless it's basketball but louisville basketball sucks now so like I, there's nothing maybe women's ba- women's basketball this would be a great game there you go I'd, yeah, there you go. I'd watch that. Yeah, it's it's like when an announcer says these two teams just don't like each other at the beginning of the game, but they <laughs> yeah. don't like each other so much that they just cancel the series. <laughs> <laughs> Their hatred is so strong that they refuse to even play. It's like the cheapest tickets to that game are dinner. $51, by the way. Oh, should be pretty well attended then. Yeah, not bad. For for comparison's sake, you could go to the UVA Maryland game for seven bucks. <laughs> mm, no, thank you. I'm not. This going is my back favorite to thing that ESPN gives you with the game previews is like, you could get in for this amount, and I'm like, I would not spend fifty dollars to go watch Louisville, Indiana. <laughs> not in this economy. Um, <laughs> Saturday at noon. Your other option, last option, if you want to get on the noon train, Wake Forest goes to ODU on ESPN two. ODU has been competitive through two games. Uh, they beat uh, Louisiana last week. They played Tech close for like three quarters. This is Wake's first game on the road. I think they're going to win, but I think this one could be kind of sneaky close. It's tough to play in Norfolk. Ask a Tech fan. It's <laughs> it's harder than you think. Yeah, I mean, I think it could be certainly competitive. This, you know, is not the Sam Hartman, Demon Deacons. You know, I think they're still pretty good, but not as good as they have been in the last few years and i think it's competitive but wake wins and yeah i mean i think i'm going to be watching some big 10 or sec football at noon unfortunately the the acc just isn't gonna isn't gonna do it for me this week in the in that 12 o'clock window well fear not because at 2 p.m you don't have to wait right. too long to get to watch your nc state Wolfpack making their debut on the cw network taking on vmi since the dawn of time, since the Earth was created before the void, the ACC has yet to win a game on the CW. Yeah. Throughout all of human history, they're 0-1 now, with Pitt losing last week against Cincinnati. And interestingly enough, the Key Dets own this series. They have a 11-7-1 record against the Wolfpack all time. Anything to worry about with Brennan Armstrong? <laughs> Any, anything in this game? Little, little nervous. I, uh, 
I think we'll be okay. I think we can handle a VMI team that barely beat Davidson in week one and just lost to Bucknell. I think we'll be okay. I think this is a good chance to maybe get some things right, uh, you know, tune up some stuff, especially defensively. Gave up a lot of big plays against Notre Dame. So maybe a good chance to work on some run fits, some uh, coverage communication, things like that. Maybe let Brennan Armstrong uh, air it out a little bit because we haven't seen a lot of that. So maybe a good chance to work on that. This should be a game that we have no real issue with, I would think. Although I am a little nervous because I just really think that the name of the VMI quarterback, his name is Colin Ironside. Oh, you're in trouble. And I just like that seems like the kind of guy who could destroy us so yeah i mean give, give me the wolf back by a thousand though hmm. saturday at three thirty, a game that sounds like it could be good but i'm not super interested in watching minnesota is taking on unc we talked with taylor about unc close call against app state minnesota has not looked particularly good even though they are two and oh barely survived nebraska only score 25 points against Eastern Michigan. Their quarterback, Athen Kaliakmanis, which is a cool name. The Greek gunslinger is what they call him. But he's only been throwing 313 passing yards through two games with a 57.6% completion percentage. I I don't even know. I'm I'm worried about UNC, but I think they win this game. The line was seven the last time I looked. I feel like UNC will cover seven. Yeah. I was a little concerned about this, but then I was, you know, doing some some research and I was thinking about looking for opportunities for Minnesota to have an advantage in this game. And I remembered, you know, a few months ago, my wife was watching the the Netflix show Outer Banks and something happens in that show. That's that's very important. Spoiler Uh, alert. Yeah. At one point, uh, some of the characters are traveling from the Outer Banks to Chapel Hill. And their mode of transportation uh, is a ferry, which if you're familiar with North Carolina geography, you may not think that there is a waterway that would connect to Chapel Hill, which is very much inland. And I, and you know, I thought this was just kind of a stupid thing in a TV show back then. But now that I'm thinking about it, what better place for PJ Fleck to row his boat? <laughs> row the boat. Chapel Hill, North Carolina. They're <laughs> rowing the boat in there. They're burning the ships. I don't know, other boat analogies, and uh, give me Minnesota, go Gophs. Oh, BTS, burn the ships. Add yeah. that to his list. PJ Flux list. <laughs> I'm uh, sure Saturday, it's in his binder of acronyms. It's too short. It's got to be longer. <laughs> Saturday sure. at 3.30, Northwestern at number 21, Duke, the Nerd Bowl. Duke is right. favored by 18.5. Duke is about to be 3-0. and they're going to play UConn next week at UConn. So that's probably a win. They'll be favored in that. Something to think about. College game day is in Colorado this week, which means that they will likely not be there for the USC game, which is in a couple weeks. So it's very possible that on September 30th, they are going to host Notre Dame and college game day will be in Durham. That's hard for me to wrap my head around. <laughs> Honestly. I know I see what you're I understand what you're saying about game day and and not going back out to Colorado for the USC game. But like I could see them doing that too. I don't know. 
Plus, they got their ACC partnerships with ESPN. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I, it could be. I mean, like, I love it. I hope that's the case, man. I, I'm, all, I'm, I'm here for it. It's so funny because I, because I do have a lot of hatred for Duke basketball, but Duke football. I don't know. I just kind of love this. I love when they're good. I love Mike Elko. I love Riley Leonard. I love what they got going on. Yeah, let's do that. Like, absolutely. College game day in Durham. You know, I just think that's exciting. You know, this this part of Duke's schedule is a little bit of fool's gold, right? Because they're going to be 4-0. Now, winning against Clemson is legit, but they're going to be 4-0. And then it gets a lot harder. <laughs> they get Notre Dame, NC State, Florida State, Louisville, Wake Forest, Carolina, all in a row. So we're gonna we're gonna learn about Duke for sure, and what what better way to kick that off than with a game day game here in a couple of weeks? But as far as this week, I mean, last week we had Wake Forest and Vanderbilt. This week we have Northwestern and Duke. I feel like the ACC schedulers got their football schedules mixed up with their like Scholastic Bowl schedules or, or mock trial or something. This is. Yeah, I don't need to see watch these nerds play either. But yeah, Duke's gonna win by a lot. And I don't know. Are they still like wearing t-shirts to protest Pat Fitzgerald's firing up there? Or? No, I think they got in trouble for that. Although okay. after losing by a lot to Rutgers in week one, Northwestern bounced back against some no-name school. So, you know, they're <laughs> good they're for not. them. They're still really bad. Also Saturday at 3.30, Virginia Tech, fresh off of a loss to Purdue, as projected by me on the show last week. Traveling to Rutgers, they are Rutgers is a seven point favorite, which is weird because I never think of Rutgers as ever being a favorite, but they're two and oh this year so far. And they have a very cool thing outside the stadium. A food truck festival is gonna happen outside the stadium in the lead up to the game. Does that help Rutgers fans or does that like make them a little bit weary because they eat something weird and then, you know, mm-hmm. they're not in a good cheering place for the rest of the game? I think it's likely that people just choose to stay at the food truck festival instead of going to the game. It does tell me that Chris Christie is likely to be in attendance. But uh yeah, I I this is gonna be ugly. I was gonna say like definitely take the under, but I'm looking at it at thirty nine and a half. That's a hurdy pretty low. But I just can't imagine a lot of points being scored in this game. I just don't think of either of these teams as having even marginally competent offenses but they could be even worse defensively so who knows maybe they score a ton of points because both teams are so bad that they just keep fumbling the ball into the end zone but yeah it's weird for me to rationalize Rutgers favorited against anybody by a a full touchdown yeah I think I would have to pick Virginia Tech here even though they lost two of their best wideouts last week in the Purdue game to injury like I just I see this game as like 17-14 so I'm just going to take the points really like aside from actually thinking about the x's and o's of the game it just seems like lots of points yes over saturday over on punts (laughs) saturday at 7 30 georgia tech is at ole miss ole miss is favored by three touchdowns the game will be on the sec network i was impressed by ole miss last week where that game against tulane was kind of back and forth and the tulane crowd really came correct but Jackson Dart played well. Dayton Wade, wide receiver, has been playing out of his mind for them. I think Ole Miss will win this game, but like Taylor was saying earlier, I, I w- I'm wary of Georgia Tech. They're kind of plucky and good. 
So three touchdowns seems like a lot. Three touchdowns is a lot, and it's tough because you look at the, you know, on the season so far, Haynes King looks pretty good. He's thrown for seven touchdowns to just one pick. But a lot of that came, you know, last week against Sucker on a state. And even in week one, though, you know, they put up uh, 34 points against Louisville and lost. And, and I just, this is a team that can score. Can it score against an SEC defense? I'm not sure. I, I, I get what Taylor was saying, and I'm not sure this is a team I would want to meet in a dark alley. Uh, I think that they definitely are. They're scrappy and they kind of play with nothing to lose because they don't really have much to lose since they've been at the bottom of the ACC for a while now. But I'm not sure. Uh, three touchdowns is a lot, though. I, I, but they are going to be beaten fairly. It's not going to. I don't think it'll be a blowout, but it will. I don't think. I don't expect this to be a tight game. I would see this as, you know, maybe a 16, 17 point game. So, yeah, that's a lot of points. And I, I would be tempted to take those points for sure. Maybe even tease that thing up a little bit. Mm, I like that. I could get into that. Yeah. Saturday at 7.30, we have Syracuse. 2-0 and Syracuse. Offensive coordinator Jason Beck throwing the ball all over the field. They are a two-and-a-half point favorite at Purdue, which has already gained a win against an ACC opponent last week with Virginia Tech. This game has opened as a pick and has now moved towards the orange and maybe back a little bit towards Purdue. Here's something that I think is funny. NBC is paying $350 million to get into the Big Ten pool of games. Yeah. Which is probably a long-term investment. The Big Ten's great. We'll have great teams coming in. But so far, that's meant that last week they had to cover Maryland at Charlotte. And this week, they get Purdue and Syracuse. Yeah. If this were the ACC Big Ten Challenge, I think that this would be a great game. And we'd all be tuning in to watch... However, uh, yet again, yeah, NBC ends up with a real clunker of a game, probably. Maybe it's one of those things where they're similarly matched, and so it's a tight game, and maybe it's exciting to watch. I can see this. It just feels, for whatever reason, as uh, like this game has the potential to just be one of those games where some real bonkers happens. That's what happened last year in this game. They played last yeah. year and Syracuse covered and won on like ridiculous circumstances at the end of the game. Which just I remember because like... I lost. <laughs> it just feels like Syracuse football is always doing that. They're always in some situation where, you know, they score on like a fumble ruski or like a weird pick six as the clock expires to cover or something like that. I'll look, I'll be honest. I feel like this Cuse team is a team that we just don't really know a lot about, right? They've played Colgate and Western Michigan. They blew them both out. So they're 2-0, and but I don't think that most people look at this team and think like, hmm, that's a really good team, right? So um, again, they've got a they've got a brutal middle of the season stretch in their schedule that we'll, we'll learn about them when they go Clemson, Carolina, Florida State in a row. But yeah, I, I kind of like the orange against Purdue. And and three points, you know, two and a half is what I what I've got it at, and I could see him winning by a field goal, maybe a last second field goal that like double doinks on the way in or something. <laughs> it's usually the dome, but this game That's is true. in West Lafayette. All right, the game of the day. I know the one that you're the most excited about. I'm the most excited about. Seven thirty, ABC, the backyard brawl. Yeah, Pitt and West Virginia. They are 70 miles apart, basically, between the two campuses. And most people will tell you that a lot of the same recruits, a lot of the same 
people who grow up together are usually between those two schools when they go off to college. I think that Pitt is the better team overall. Mm-hmm. But then I look at how your boy, Phil Jerkovic, played last week. He was 10 for 32 with 179 passing yards and three touchdowns, which is, is the weirdest good? line I've ever heard of. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, a, a touchdown pass once every three completions is kind of good. I don't know. Sure. The rest of it's weird. <laughs> it is. It's Yeah, super weird. And I think that... Um... You know, he actually adds an extra dynamic to this because he is he's a Pennsylvania kid. He's like a Western PA kid. So, you know, he, I think, is invested in this in some way, probably. He probably had a stance on this growing up or at some point in his life. Look, I I think this rivalry is one of the greatest things in sports that, you know, we got away from with all the realignment stuff. And it should be happening all the time. Just like I think West Virginia and Virginia Tech should be playing all the time. I love those old school, you know, leftover from the Big East rivalries. I don't like this Pitt team. I just don't think they're very good. I don't think this West Virginia team is particularly good. All that being said, this thing is, I mean, it's going to live up to the rivalry name, right? This is going to be a brawl. And I think it's going to be, it's in Morgantown, which some couches are going to burn one way or another. And uh, I'll be pulling for the Mountaineers all night. I I am going to get like so into this game for no real particular reason. I mean, I do have some good friends that are WVU fans. And so I have a little bit of investment, but I don't know. I just, I love the idea of this. This is like the WVU fan base is one of the most passionate fan bases I've ever encountered. I was like even thinking about, I, was, I used to have a WVU shirt. I don't anymore. I was thinking about, I work Saturday night and I was thinking about buying a shirt just to wear to work mm. to get into this game. And just like, I'll pretend to be the biggest WVU fan that's ever walked this earth and start yelling each pit and all that good stuff. There was this great video. I don't know. There was this, somebody posted on Twitter of a fan a Cincinnati fan yelling that last week and this pit woman just did like an owl her her head did an owl thing of turning like 180 <laughs> degrees to just like stare this guy down it was great yeah I'll root for West Virginia why not go West Virginia yeah I'm gonna put some Even money I... on it and just let it ride sure why not let's have some fun um last ACC game did I forget any ACC games other than this one I don't think uh, I forgot no, I think you just got the one left Great. Good for me. Saturday, 8.30, the game Taylor will be covering FAU at Clemson. As I predicted last week, there were definitely some tense moments in the stadium last week with Charleston Southern being up in the first quarter, Clemson only being within one score at halftime. There were a lot of, like, grumbly fans, yep. a lot of grumbly Clemson fans. I think this will be not that good of a game, but... I realized that Tom Herman is the coach of FAU. That's right. Former, formerly of Texas. So maybe that's interesting. Go Owls. I mean, I don't think they have much of a chance here, but uh, I think it could be, it could be a little tight at times. You know, I think there's going to be some plays made and, you know, I, I, I don't think, I just don't think Clemson's in a position to blow a team like this out right now. I, I, uh, you know, I think that, they're gonna. They're still trying to figure some things out defensively. Um, still trying to figure out some things in the passing game. And so, yeah, I mean, in years past, kind of like Taylor mentioned earlier, in years past, you'd have the skill positions. You know, 
Clemson wideouts would just be running past people all over the field and they could score easily. And I just don't really see that as much with this team. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that it, it, it will be, I'm not saying it will be a tight competitive game, but it will be tighter than Clemson fans are comfortable with. I think, you know, it's a 24 point line. I could see it close to that, but if it's within a couple touch with within two touchdowns or so in the second half, I could see some, uh, some real antsy tiger fans down there. I think it'll be close for a little bit. And then Clemson will win by like 40 points. I think Dabo's tired of hearing people grumble in his stadium that he built. Mm. So I think they will come out and fling the ball all over the place. And that's it. That's your ACC slate of games. Not the best slate of games, but you know, backyard brawl is pretty cool. So yeah, that's about all we we got got to offer. And we got a few games to talk about outside. There are many games involving top 25 teams that they're playing. Like they're using this as the week to get ready for next week's insane schedule of games, which is going to be awesome. So they're using this as like you, you get a situation where Oregon is playing Hawaii, you know, and you get a 38 point line on that game. So a lot of big line games, but a few games worth talking about. First Saturday at noon on ESPN. LSU is a 10-point favorite at Mississippi State. Get your cowbells ready. This is weird because Bill Connolly, who we both like looking at his stuff, mm-hmm. he has this as like a one-point LSU margin, which he even like looking at his model was kind of like, oh, that's weird. LSU really only one point better than Mississippi State going to Stark Vegas? I don't know. I like LSU here by a lot. I think they bounce back. It's a it's definitely a tough one to call just because you know Mississippi State has been one of those teams in the past that just kind of like they may not be great great but they're going to give you some sort of trouble you know they could be sneaky good on a given day but yeah I just I'm a big believer that LSU is one of the best teams in the country you know at least a, a top 10 team right so I I got to think they're going to win by at least, yeah. So they go there at nine and a half. I I like them by two touchdowns here in this game. Yeah, I do too. That's one of my favorite plays on the board. If you're uncomfortable with that and want to tease it down, like there's, I just LSU is not going to lose this game. I don't think they will lose this game. So I will be shocked if they do. Also at noon on Saturday, Kansas State is a five point favorite at Missouri. A line that I think is my smelly line of the week. This makes mm. no sense to me. Kansas State is considerably better. Missouri looked very meh against Middle Tennessee State. They are one of four teams not to attempt a fourth down conversion this year. I don't know. They're cowards. playing like they're playing scared. Playing scared. There's no reason they should cowards. be. They should only be a five point underdog. There's no reason for that, which is why I'm absolutely making one of my locks this week. Missouri. <laughs> Give me the Tigers. A hundred percent. Kansas State had to change its travel schedule to get to this game because the airport is under construction, so they have to bust to Topeka, then fly to the game. Mm. And it's early. It's at 11 a.m. Give me the Tigers. I love the Tigers this week for no reason. I might tell that bet. I I won't feel good about it. <laughs> like If I bet Missouri, I just feel like I'm going to be really nervous about that. But so I, it's funny because that tends to be your 
response to a smelly line. Mine is I see that and I'm like, I don't get it. So I'm not touching it. Like I'm just not going to bet that game. Who knows? I think I have like a bonus bet in my, in one of my sports books that I use. I'm not advertising for them unless they pay me, but I think I have a bonus bet in there. So I might use that. Luther Burden wide receiver is five-star recruit. Missouri's getting a lot of five-star recruits now because of their state NIL money. Mm -hmm. So I think he will win the game with a late touchdown doing something electrifying Saturday at three 30 South Carolina at Georgia line is almost four touchdowns. They had a huge bounce back. South Carolina did against Furman 47, 21. (laughs) But all I can think about is watching the terrible North Carolina defense smother Spencer Radler. How do you think Georgia's defense is going to do? How do you think that offensive line is going to hang on against Georgia? I just kind of hope that they have like extra medical treatment ready to roll for him because I think he's going to get crushed in that game. If this were in Columbia, I might feel a little bit better about like crazy upset or even just like cover and make it sort of interesting. But down in Athens, this South Carolina team, no, I'm sorry. I, I had some faith in them going into the season. I thought they'd be better. You know, and and we talked about it a lot, I think, probably off air mostly, but kind of overlooked line play for them. And I think they just don't have it in the trenches. And that's, yeah, like you said, if that's a problem against North Carolina, that's going to be a massive problem against Georgia. So, uh, yeah, this one's one's not going to be particularly close. The thing I want to see more of, give Brock Bowers the ball. He had one catch for three yards last week. Yeah, it's inexcusable. Hashtag free Brock. Come on. Yep. Let Brock cook. Saturday at five, a game that has been relegated to Peacock, which is perhaps good because it involves Michigan State and the controversy with Mel Tucker, who has been indefinitely suspended pending an investigation for sexual harassment. And that's all really bad. And here comes Washington is a 16 and a half point favorite. Michael Penix has been amazing so far this year, completing 73% of his passes. He's fourth in QBR. Washington is way better than Michigan State. 17 points seems kind of insane on the road, but especially with a situation where the coach has just been suspended and all those distractions. But so I, I wouldn't bet this game at all. I don't even have Peacock, so I can't watch it. First of all, coaches, can we just stop being people like just just stop and even if you are a shit person just like it can't be that difficult to just hide it not not do some of the things that for whatever reason your brain is telling you to do we don't have to get into the details of the mel tucker story but it would not be that difficult to not do the things that he did it shouldn't be with the with the contract he has the life that he has gotten himself into like come on man what are you doing anyway all that being said, even without that, Michigan State's not very good. Washington is explosive on offense. They have a defense that makes plays. Michael Penix was one of my uh, Heisman dark horses. I think it's funny. This is a game you won't touch. I'm all over this. Washington will cover easily. I've got it at 16 points. That, to me, just feels like a no-brainer. I think they win this by three, four touchdowns, even at Michigan State. I think this is the game where people realize that like, okay, this Michigan state program really has fallen off 
Um, and this is not what they have been in the past few years or, or even four or five, six years ago. Yeah, I think that this is going to be a big, a big, big win for Washington. And very few people will see it. Saturday at 7 o'clock, we have Tennessee as a six-and-a-half-point favorite at Florida. This is known as the third Saturday in September game. Tennessee likes to do that. They like to put their third Saturday games. They have the Alabama one in October. They always play on the third Saturday. That's a weird thing for them. Anyway, six-and-a-half-point favorite. Tennessee is better than Florida. Florida looks really, really bad at Utah. They bounce back against McNeese State. How about that? I think this is a perfect opportunity for Tennessee to just plaster the Gators. You've got Joe Milton, way better than Graham Mertz. Give me the Vols. Lock it up. I love the Vols this week. Yeah, this this line, I mean, to me, this line stinks to high heaven. Uh, I, cannot a little under- bit. I cannot understand why in... The year of our Lord, 2023, Tennessee's only a touchdown favorite against Florida. I don't know. just makes no sense to me. That being said, even though I said a lot of times when I see that, I won't touch it. This one, I'm just, I'm going in. I'm saying, fine, cool, Tennessee, take it. You're going to win by 20, and I'm going to make a lot of money off of it. This is probably going to be my biggest bet. This is the one I'm going to put the most money on this week. My theory on it is that Tennessee did not look very good against Austin P last week. It just like couldn't sure. score for the first half. And so maybe people are, you know, they played Virginia, they played Austin P and maybe people are just not sold on what their entire makeup is, but I'm, I'm fine. fine with it. I, it's going to make me money. So I'm cool with that. <laughs> More for me. Our last <laughs> game of the day that we're going to preview Saturday at 10 Colorado state at Colorado. It is the game day game on espn i can't wait to hear what jay norvell said about dion apparently everybody says something bad about dion we find out <laughs> about it after the game matt rule was talking trash to the sanders family this will be great norvell probably said some trash thing to dion ahead of the game that's right but the rams have had two weeks to prepare and now the all eyes espn game day will be there I kind of feel like this might be like sneaky close for a while. I don't know. I do not think that. Um, I This is a bad Colorado State team. I think you could give them two months to prepare, and this would not go well. They're making a quarterback change. They're starting a redshirt freshman. He, uh, Braden Fowler-Nicolosi, who did come in in the second half of their season opener where they got blown out by Washington State, who, look, is a – dynamic offense and not a bad team but i don't think quite as good as this colorado team at least has looked in the first couple of weeks so i mean they're they're going to the young guy which you know take notes tony elliott but colorado state going to a young guy at quarterback um, doesn't have much experience and yeah i mean you got to think about it this way colorado which won one game last year and has not been good They've won five straight against Colorado State. Now, they haven't played since 2019, so they didn't play in the last couple of years. But Colorado hasn't been good for a long time. So when we look at that, it's just a different level. Colorado State is just not there. Um, And I I think that it may not be um, as big of a win as the line would indicate. But it is. I I think this one will not be particularly close either, which adds to the list of 
games that just aren't good this week, right? There's just I don't think there's going to be a lot of tight like nail biter games. I think Shadur Sanders is going to to pick apart this defense and make plays all day, and it looks to be another another blowout that you could go to for two hundred dollars. That makes no sense. I would never do that. Come on, yeah, man. I, I get it. Like what they this is. They haven't been able to be this excited about football maybe ever, right? Like, I understand if you've been a Colorado fan your whole life and you've been loyal through some rough years, um, and they've had, you know, there was some decent years in their history for sure, but still, this level of hype and excitement, this is brand new. I'm not saying that Colorado State will win or really even make it a close game. I just think 23 points between all of the energy that has gone and focus that has gone on Colorado the last couple of weeks. And then coming up, they have Oregon and USC the next two weeks. I could just see a situation where either Colorado doesn't want to put a lot of stuff on film or they pump the brakes a little bit, get people out of the game early to avoid injury. I just, I think I could see the Rams covering this one. I don't know. Let down spot. Okay. That's fair. So that's it. This is the weekend of games. Those are the ones you have to choose from. And, you know, I'm just saying if you have some repairs to do in your house and or or you know your significant other wants to go out on a date this is the weekend to do it. You don't have, you know, you can't do it next weekend. Next weekend is great football wire to wire. This is the weekend to get all your homework and chores done. That's right. Or anyway. just you do what I'm going to do and you know, while I'm working but I'm going to still be watching some games i'm gonna place some bets on teams i don't normally care about and use this as an opportunity to try to win some money that's right if you place a bet it becomes the most important game in the world so there you go uh if you have any picks this week or games you feel like we should have covered you can email the show at preferred walk-ons at yahoo.com or you can follow us on social media at pwo pod and we look forward to talking with you next week